It's good to be with you this morning, church. Good morning. Welcome to Community Church. If you're a visitor with us, just a special welcome. I don't know about you, but before this year, I'd never watched fencing. I've never watched a fencing match, but I've seen fencing all the time now. I'm excited Hong Kong won a gold medal in fencing. Now, cycling, as you know, is more my sport. And we have one of the best female cyclists in the world here. And just this morning between services, I heard Sarah Lee won two bronze medals. So, so we'll add to that leap. So that's exciting, uh, exciting news for our city. So last week, we talked about confession. We're in this life-changing prayer series. Confession, mine and ours, individually and communally individually in our family, individually in our church, individually in our city? What are the things that we can, before God, lay down, that we can own, that we can be both real with God and own where we have fallen short and work for the good of this world? You had papers on your chairs, and you do again today, but for another reason, that we wrote down our confessions and brought them here to the front to lay them down before the altar, to hand them over to God, because God does a work in our hearts when we confess. He brings healing, Scripture says, and when we confess with one another, there's a a weight that is lifted off our shoulders, and we can know God's peace and his forgiveness and his healing. Prayer invites us into an opportunity to have intimacy with God. I heard somebody talk about intimacy as in to me you see. And with confession, we invite God to see into us, to know us more deeply and for us to know him more deeply. Intimacy. Confessional prayer can bring us into that space if we're honest, if we're open, if we're vulnerable. It can do that very thing. So this week, we're talking about prayer. Does prayer change anything? If we don't think so, we probably won't pray, right? What do we pray for a change of, typically, when we pray? A change of circumstance. Maybe we're praying for healing for something. Maybe we're praying for a new job. Maybe we're praying for the other person to change, right? that they might be more kind, that they might be more patient, right? Um, That they might be more like us, right? That's often our prayer. Sometimes we might pray for our own internal change. God wants to work in all of these spaces. You might think, well, God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is unchanging. What's the use of praying? That's a good question. If God is, in fact, all of those things, and he is, what role does prayer have in changing things? How does that work? Scripture says God is all-knowing, all-powerful, unchanging, and Scripture says that we need to pray. It doesn't resolve the tension. It keeps it mysterious. It doesn't let us off the hook, but invites us into this mysterious dynamic where God wants to know our hearts, wants to be in communion with us so we can, in fact, be changed and transformed by him. We began this series talking about prayer is more about communion with God, a constant connection to God than just a conversation. In 1982, NBC was interviewing Billy Graham for the Today Show. 
And the producer was talking to Billy Graham's assistant and said, you know, we set up a prayer room for Billy Graham before the interview so that he can pray um, before he comes on the air. And the assistant said, that's okay, we won't need a prayer room. And the producer was confused. Doesn't Billy Graham care about prayer? And he said, yeah, Billy Graham cares about prayer. He was praying when he woke up. He was praying when he was eating breakfast. He was praying on the ride over here. He'll be praying during the whole interview itself. See, we can pray with words. We can pray without words. We can pray in God's presence all the time. We can do this life with God. Not just those times where we bow our head and close our eyes. God wants a 24-7 connection with us. And that brings us today's scripture from Paul and Silas. And it'll be in your bulletin, it'll be on the screen, but let me pray before we dig into this text. God, I thank you that you, in fact, are here and your spirit is here. And I pray that as we unpack this text, God, that you would speak to each one of us, that our hearts would be open to the ways you want to speak into us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul and Silas are in prison, and this is where we pick up the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his household. All right, so this is a wild story. We have Paul and Silas, they're praying, they're singing. There's this earthquake. This miraculous earthquake actually opens the prison doors, allows their chains to come off, and Paul and Silas have been released before in prison. God has miraculously freed them in the past from their prison cells. Paul, uh, Peter had the same thing happen. The church was praying for him, and he was miraculously released. And so again, this is the scenario before him, and it's a miracle. But there's actually a second miracle in this story. Did you catch it? Paul and Silas don't flee. They don't go out the doors. They don't leave the prison. And you might be thinking, well, maybe they didn't act fast enough, right? Maybe the jailer woke up and and they didn't have time to get out. But then they, they could have just been quiet, right? But they weren't. The jailer wakes up and he thinks all hope is lost. His world is crumbling in this moment. It's the worst thing that can happen. If he doesn't take his own life, the government officials will take his life because he failed at his job. So he prepares to do that, and he stopped. Paul lets them know that they're all still there. So he doesn't take his life in that moment, but rather discovers new life. 
He knows there's something about these men who they're praying to and what they're singing that they are different, and he wants to know more. He wants to know what that is about. And so Paul and Silas tell them what it's about. See, sometimes God will change our circumstances. Sometimes, though, he wants us to change our perspective on those circumstances. Sometimes he will heal. He'll open prison doors. Chains will come off. Sometimes you won't get that job. The person in your life will still be difficult, but God still is wanting to work in that situation. How might he be asking you to change your perspective in that moment? See, Paul and Silas are in communion with God as they're in that jail. They're connected with him, and God gives them a miracle, and then they have a choice to make to take that miracle, to take that freedom, or they can steward that miracle for somebody else's benefit. They decide to pass on that miracle to this jailer. Instead of claiming their freedom, they give him ultimate freedom as they invite him into relationship with God. That's a big, I don't know if I would have done that if I were Paul and Silas. <laughs> I might have head for the door, right? This is my chance. God, thank you so much for opening this door. It run right through. But they have the awareness of mind to be connected with God, to think God might be up to something else in this moment. See, through this through their prayer, through their connection with God, they no longer see the jailer as the enemy. They no longer see the jailer as the one who is harming their life. They see their jailer as a neighbor, somebody that they can love, somebody that they can bring life to. And so instead of taking their freedom, they give this miracle to him. And that's what our faith can do. Our enemy can become our neighbor. Our fear can turn into faith. Our challenging relationship can create an opportunity for us to grow deeper with Christ. When I was in high school, the church had kind of an all-church event one Sunday night where they invited us in. And this was pre-PowerPoints. Um, this was like overhead projection days, but they didn't even have that. And so they talked about this word, and it almost sounded Italian. It was like, Caprago! And I was like, all oh, right. It stuck in my mind. I didn't realize at first that the word was pray, you know? And so we began to unpack this word, and this, this word is actually, uh, we can see this flushing out in this passage today. What does the co mean here? The co is to co-labor with God and with one another. This is what God invites us into, to be co-laborers, to be co-creators with his work in his kingdom. Dallas Willard says it this way, prayer is talking with God about what we're thinking and doing together. It is co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. As we pray, we get connected to the mind and heart of God. We begin to see more clearly what he is about doing, and we can join him in that. So we pray, but we're also called into action. See, prayer is not merely just expressing ourselves to God, not merely talking to God, and it's not just merely listening for his reply. It's an invitation to do something. How do we cooperate with God? How do we co-labor with him? It's not about controlling or manipulating God with our prayers, and it's not about God controlling or manipulating us. It's coming before God with open hands and say, what do you want to do in this situation? How 
Can I join you in what you're doing, God, versus saying, this is what I'm going to do, God. Please bless it. When Erica and I lived in Utah, I was working for the state of Utah in their Department of Human Services, and the county we lived in was 95% Mormon, and we were not. And so all of our neighbors, all of our co colleagues knew we weren't Mormon. And I was thinking, how do I, how do I be a witness you know, to, to Christ in this environment? See, they're trying to convert me, right? And I'm trying to convert them. We've got this little conversion battle going on. But as I'm praying to God about how we are to live our Christian life in that environment, he just nudges my heart and says, just be grace to them. Be kind to them. Be a listener to them. Show them that part of who I am and my character. Don't be about your own agenda. And that was our posture as we were there, and God opened up some wonderful doors and conversations and sharing of heart. So this brings us to how do we co-labor with God for his gospel? The gospel is at the heart of our faith. So what is the gospel? Is the gospel the great commission where Jesus tells his disciples at the end of Matthew to go and make disciples of all nations? Is that the gospel? It starts earlier than that. What does Jesus himself say his mission is? And he says it in Luke 4, 18 and 19. It says to proclaim good news to the poor, to set freedom to the captives, to set the oppressed free, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Jesus himself is borrowing from Isaiah. Does the gospel start with Isaiah? No, it goes back before Isaiah. Do we start our gospel in Genesis 3 with the fall, with sin, with Adam and Eve taking of the fruit they weren't supposed to and hiding from God and running out, out of God's presence? No. The gospel goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 1. God creating us in his image, creating us in his likeness, creating us good, and setting us about the work in the garden itself, co-laboring with God for the work he wants to do for the flourishing of everybody and this world. That's what the gospel is. That's what we can co-labor with God about. This is why we partner with ministries like Jubilee. It's great to have you here, Lemuel, and wife Diana, because this is about the flourishing of everybody. This is why we talk about the importance of emotional health and relational health, because it connects to our flourishing of what God has called us into. This is why we care for the planet, because we're about this flourishing that God calls us into. See, Jesus talks about, we're going to have a series on the kingdom of God in, in September, and we're going to explore this more. But we see this, this journey starting in Genesis 1, this connection with God, Adam and Eve, in communion with God, doing the work that he has for them to do. And we get this bookend in Revelation where the garden is no longer a garden, it's a city. And Jesus is saying he's going to bring the redemption of all things. And he invites us into that work now. We're not waiting to be a part of that work in the future. We get to co-labor with God right now. This brings us to the heart of this word, and that's pray. To be connected to God, to know God's heart, to know what he is wanting to be about. Right now, council is going through a discernment process, and we're looking at our 
you know, vision and our values and, and what's ahead for us. And we talked about the difference between decision-making and discernment. And you need both. We need both every day in our life. Like, you know, what shoes should I wear? I just make a decision, right? Not, okay, God, you know, what shoes should I wear today? I'm waiting, you know, and, and no, right? Sometimes we just make a decision. Other times we really need to slow down and discern and listen to the Spirit to create space for God to speak to us, to listen to what he wants us to do, not just think this is the way we're going to go and we take it, but slowing down and discerning, that requires prayer. That requires stillness. It requires letting go of our agenda and waiting for God to speak to us so we can take up his plan for us. And finally, go. How does God work in this world? He calls us to do good works. In this story, we get two ways God works. First, God does do miracles, right? We see the doors open. We see the chains come off. But God also works just as powerfully through you and I, through human activity. The second miracle of that story was something that Paul and Silas got to co-labor with God in when they saved the jailer's life when they saved him from taking his life. God works through each one of us and wants to work through each one of us every day. It's not do we pray or do we go. We do both in cooperation with who God is. If I'm praying for my neighbor who's hungry and I have a fridge full of food, maybe God is calling me to share what I have with my neighbor. We pray to God, and then we walk out the realities of those prayer, because prayer connects us with God's heart and with his mind. If we're not connected to God in prayer, we can be about our own mission, right? Our own glory, our own pat ourselves on the back, look at how great we're doing. But prayer keeps us in dependence on God. It keeps us humble before God. Philip Yancey talks about this dependence this way. He says, most parents feel a pang when the child outgrows dependence even while knowing the growth to be healthy and normal. With God, the rules change. We never outgrow dependence. And to the extent we think we do, we delude ourselves. Prayers are declaration of dependence upon the Lord. Like a child that needs a parent, we aren't meant to do life independently from God. God invites us into a posture of trust. And prayer is a conduit for that connection of trust with God. In um, Peter Greer, the CEO of Hope International, and we've had him speak here years ago, he has a book, The Spiritual Danger of Doing Instead of Being. And he talks about in our enthusiasm to do good, which we're to be about doing good and going, we can become self-reliant. We can neglect those primary relationships in our lives. We can be more about our own kingdom and less about God's kingdom. We can go after success more than faithfulness. I've now been in the senior role here for one year and one week, and I love the role. I love this position. I love serving you all as pastor these 14 years now. But I can feel that tension of success versus faithfulness. 
If, if I'm successful, then God will love me more, right? And if I'm not successful, God will love me less. And I know in my head that's not true, but do I live that reality? I was getting prayed for uh, by a brother in Christ, and he didn't even know this internal dialogue I was having, but God nudged his spirit to pray for me with the words I needed to hear. And he prayed, even if I don't accomplish the things I want to do, I'm still loved, not any less. Or if I do accomplish my goals, I'm not loved anymore. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. See, we have our individual connection with God in our prayer, but we have a communal connection that is just as, if not more important. We need one another, and we need God to be using each one of us in each other's lives. God calls us to be a body of Christ. That means all are included. See, Jesus says, you know, many, when it's time for the judgment, many will come to me that we're doing great things service hearts. They were going, they were doing, and, and God will say, I don't even know who you are. I don't know your heart, and you don't know my heart. That's sobering, friends, to be doing so much, but to not be doing it in connection with God. See, we started this series about talking about the vine and the branch and our connection with God, that apart from Christ, we can do some things? No, nothing. So that connection is so primary for how we're to live out our lives. We cannot forget, and this is the quote from Peter Greer, the core message of grace is we are forgiven, accepted, and loved, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Independent of our performance, we are loved. See, God calls us to do good works. We see this in Paul in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're about that, but not apart from God, in connection to him. So does prayer change anything? We have to want to change, I think. In communion with God, we can begin to see the areas he wants to work in our life. Maybe God will change a circumstance. Maybe he will change a relationship, but maybe he will change you. Maybe he will change your perspective on the circumstance. As we get to partake in God's plan, if we can come to God with open hands, we're much easier to lead and guide and co-labor. So coprago, or coprago, which one is easier for you? Are any of them easy? You might look at, you know what, I don't know how to do any of that. Well, that's a good starting place, and you're in good company here. I want to give us some time on your chairs or pieces of paper, and this week you're not bringing the paper up front. You're holding on to it as a reminder of things you would like to commit to, things that you would like to invite God in to change in your life. So ponder, the worship team will be up here and they'll be playing underneath this. But where would you like to see change? In your life, in your heart, in your mind, circumstances, in your schedule, in how you view your circumstances. Maybe how to be more open to co-laboring with God. Maybe it's to grow more in your prayer life. In what ways would you like to do that? So spend the next few minutes as the band plays 
to do that, you are welcome to come up to the altar. We have candles up here, which are a wonderful symbol of hope, of maybe something you're holding on to right now. Our two prayer stations over here and over here will also be opened. So we invite you to make use of this time. God, I pray for your spirit just to be flowing in and amongst us. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, each one of our hearts, God, an area that you would like to work with us in, God that you would like to bring your transformation in, God. So come and be with us in your name, Jesus. Amen.